Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and pray that you are having an amazing day, especially during these troubling times that we're all facing. Well, dating in your 30s can be difficult. Finding someone who matches your values, that you find attractive, and that is still single is incredibly difficult. So how do you find the balance, though, between pursuing career goals while also still trying to find a spouse? Joining me on the show today is Dr. Roy Salgado, counseling professor at the University of Holy Cross here in New Orleans, Louisiana. In today's episode, Roy openly shares about his personal experiences of dating in his 30s and getting married at 41, while also drawing upon his counseling knowledge to offer some guidance related to this topic. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of assessing your priorities in life circumstances, practical ways of finding a person to date, how your thoughts influence your expectations on the people that you're dating, ideas for how to properly evaluate said person, and also how to date again if you are following a divorce. When the show is done, please head over to at Dr. Mario Sacasa on Facebook or Instagram to share your thoughts about dating and any hopeful stories you may have for others to hear. All right, everybody, let's get into this episode. Dr. Roy Salgado, welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you very much for having me. So first question right out of the gates, and it's a good way to introduce you to the audience. You're a professor at the University of Holy Cross Correct. in the accounting department. Of all the dissertations that you have managed, which one has been your favorite thus far? By far, this individual by the name of Dr. Mario Sacasa, it was a fabulous document. <laughs> it was it was enlightened as enlightened can be. <laughs> it, it was. It was. No, 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 let me tell you. I mean, without without uh, exaggerating, it really was a wonderful piece of work. <laughs> You're full of it. You're so full it of really it. Was. <laughs> <Just joking. laughs> so if the audience, to, to you know, uh, my, my it's just joking. So, if the let you know, Roy was my my chair for my dissertation committee, and I was grateful to have him. He's a wonderful professor there at the counseling department. You're a wonderful student. Yes. Well, it was it was a balance uh, to navigate. <laughs> A full-time job, family, and a doctorate all at the same time. It was it was crazy. The yes, gray indeed. hairs are are still there. You know, that's, <laughs> that's why it's an audio podcast, so people don't have to see. Uh, no, you wear it well. You don't look a day over twenty-one. <laughs> that's two lies, man. You got to calm down over there. It's, 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 I'm just messing with you. No, I appreciate it. So, Roy, tell me, tell the audience a little bit about what you do and and uh, introduce yourself. So, well, yeah. as you said, I am a professor of counseling at the University of Holy Cross. I've been there for sixteen years mm. now. Mm. It's hard to believe um, it's been that long. Uh, I've wow. been in private practice for 20 years oh, awesome. um, and um, have a private practice, Crescent City Counseling, where I provide marriage and family therapy to individuals in the community, as well as clinical mental health services uh, to individuals, both in English and in Spanish. And uh, just I'm passionate about the work that I do in working with uh, with clients as I counsel them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's it's good work. So we're, we're, we're grateful to have you here. So the f- being a, a counselor and also a marriage and family therapist, uh, I thought you would be an awesome person to talk to about the topic that we're having today. I get a number of uh, requests from people who listen to the show, as well as in my own counseling practice. I'm, I've worked with a number of individuals who are single in their 30s or 40s. And man, you know, it's just tough. The dating game is is hard. Um, I, I make no bones about it. I know in in my own life, Chris and I, we met at a young age. We We met in college and we got married right out of college. I was 22. She was 21. 
And so, but I know that in my experience, that's not something that I, that's not a, like something that I can take credit for. You know, I just happened to meet my wife at a young age. That's not anything that I can say is, is, is I did something special to make that happen. So my heart definitely goes out for all individuals who are still struggling to understand what their vocation is and, and being single in the dating scene, it just, it gets difficult as you get older. And so I want to talk about that, you know, (laughs) and it would be my pleasure to talk about it because I not only uh, have perhaps insight from a professional Mm -hmm. perspective with regard to the theory, but I can identify with this topic myself. I didn't get married till I was 41. So I dated in my twenties and thirties and I dated more than I would have liked to have dated. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind. No, not at all. Not at all. What was your experience being in your thirties, being a professional and, and, you know, you hit all the marks, you got the doctorate, handsome guy, you know, professional, you know, this is what's, you know, like. yeah, just working a lot, you know, you know, prioritizing things. I, I realized that I had been a good student, a yeah. consummate professional working very hard. And I had really put that as a priority, mm. you know, and wanting to accomplish certain things. And then I found myself uh, dating here and there but not really dating, mm. you know, not really investing in a relationship. I invested in other things. Yeah. I, I put a lot of time, energy, and effort in other things. And I put some time, energy, and effort in dating. And also found perhaps that I didn't uh, appreciate the person that I may have been dating at a given time. Got it. So there's a lot of multivaried uh, components. Um, I myself... Um, at about 37, I was looking at 40, just mm. was knocking on the door mm. and I'm like, 40 <laughs> is knocking on the door. And so I made a conscious decision at 37 to enter into this phase of life that I refer to now as the period of time where I dated aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> so I began That's to, not the same thing as speed dating though. Like, so I, so I, I did speed you dating did, you as did? well. I did, <laughs> I, right. did, I did speed dating, <laughs> online dating yes. um, back in the day. It was Match.com uh-huh. and eHarmony. And um, Tinder did not come into the picture uh-huh. until after I had gotten married. So I, I think I was getting married about the time that Tinder came onto the scene. So. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so that would have been an option. So it would have been an option. All right. Um, but, but I tried all sorts of things. You know, I... I asked people to set me up. It's like, do you know anybody I can meet? Just, you know, introduce me to people that you think are are good potential candidates or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or I would just start asking out people that I was attracted to. You know, wow. I uh, I did the online thing. I uh, I when somebody asked me out, I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so so I I just you know threw the the darts at the at the yeah through at the, the target and, the and, just, and just, just yeah and just and just said let me just see what happens. Wow. So I dated quite a bit. And, and I almost treated myself like a case study, trying to figure out what is it that I'm doing? Because the only common mm-hmm. denominator in all of this was me. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have gone to uh, the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference in Anaheim, California. And I listened to a very wonderful lecture on positive psychology yes. and dominant thought theory. Yeah. And I realized, whoa, the, the language that I use, the thoughts that I have, the way that I speak, I project that into the future, into the into the world, and it becomes my reality. Mm. So I started paying attention to uh, the language that I use. And when I would come back from a date and I would talk to my buddies about it, say, so how'd it go? And I'm like, oh, it was all right, but uh, she doesn't, and no, mm. I don't want to deal with that. Mm. And I realized 
the, the negative language that I was using centered around someone that I had only hung out with for a couple of hours. Wow. Oh, I don't want this. I don't want that. Who needs this? And after having noticed that a while, I, I told myself, you know what? I'm going to make a conscious effort to focus on the positives, on the attributes that the woman that I'm dating has, on the good qualities that she has, on those traits, and not focus on what she doesn't have or what I would necessarily like. And so I started to do that. And I said, okay, I said, the first, the next person that I date, I'm going to take that route. Mm -hmm. She's the one who became my wife and I was the mother of my child. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And, and I came to the realization that it was me. It was my um, thinking and my way of, of, of speaking that, that projected my reality and that created my reality. Now, that being said, there's all these other external, you know, macro systemic mm-hmm. factors that come into play. Um, it really is hard to find someone. It really is. Um, when there's a, a, such a diverse pool of people with differing ideas mm-hmm. and philosophies, and you really need to find someone that uh, is in sync with who you are and with your basic, basic principles and values, mm-hmm. um, that is not necessarily an easy thing to do. No, it's not. Um, with that, uh, a big part of it is our perspective and how we approach things as well, though. Yeah. So at 37, you said is you you kind of saw 40 knocking on the door. Yeah. And you're like, all right, I something has to change. I got to. And you, so you started doing the introspective work of assessing priority and saying, OK, have I really given this the priority that it deserves? Right. Or or. Or am I just playing the victim here? You know, so it just hasn't happened. Right. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. And so being assessing priority, be like, no, nope, you know what? This really hasn't been a, a major priority in my life. And so then shifting that right. and being more aggressive in your dating, as yeah. you said, just like, all right, well, I'm just going to date everybody basically. Like, <laughs> Pretty much. You know, and in, and in my 20s and 30s, I dated when, when I did. And I had a relationship that lasted a couple of years, uh-huh. you know, uh, and they went the way that they went. Yeah. But in the dating uh, scenario... I really did not prioritize. And if I were to think back, maybe they didn't turn out. Mm-hmm. Well, I could say definitively they didn't turn out the way that perhaps one would have liked or have thought because it wasn't a priority. Mm. You know, graduate school was a priority. Work mm-hmm. was a priority. Making money was a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, building a professional reputation was a priority. Mm-hmm. And for other people, it could be, other people could be other things that mm-hmm. they prioritize putting relationships second. Right. Um, but when you realize that in order for something to uh, – work. You have to invest the time, energy, and effort. Right. And now that I'm married, I see that my priority, well, for me personally, it's God yeah. first. And and then my wife and my family. Yeah. Um, and so you have to prioritize. And while career is important, it's now like a, a four or a five as oh, opposed on the, to on a the one. list of priorities. Now. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Cause it, it it is. And again, it's nothing you have to understand everybody has to work with the circumstances that they face. And right. so if you can't just sit and wait you know, for, cause a scenario that I've seen often, particularly with both men and women has been, I would love to get married. I would love to find the right person, but it ain't happening. It hasn't presented itself. So rather than just sitting on my hands, waiting for it to magically appear, where can I pivot and what can, what, what else do I, where do I, where do I have some traction? So that ends up becoming career, go back to school, get the masters, get the doctorate, right. find the job, do those things while still waiting for Mr. Wright or Miss Wright to kind of present herself. Right. So there is a, there's a, a balance in this, I guess, in the sense of like, yeah, you, you, you have to kind of work towards something. You can't just sit and, 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 and not be doing anything. And God, of course, understands the circumstances that we are in. And it's not like 
your life doesn't have meaning because you don't have a wife or, or a husband or, or family. Right. You know, of course, like you could do great things, good, good things in the midst of even your singlehood. Um, but there needs to be some degree of, of assessing, okay, is, it, is, is there something in me that I am not prioritizing this or some narrative, like you said, the dominant thought theory there. Um, maybe you can speak on that in just a second. Like, or, or, or is it circumstantial? You know, like that's what makes this, this thing so difficult, right. you know, for, for, for so many it's different both people. Because it is, it exactly. Is. It is. And, and I recognize that even culturally speaking, there's been a real shift in terms of, like right now, I know, I think it's the first time in, in American history that there's been more single people than married people because everybody right. gets married later. Um, and we know that. We know that there's more, there's more things that have to happen before people feel ready right. to get married. Um, so, which I, I don't know if I agree with all of that. We got, I got married, like I said, at a young age and I did grad school with an infant. I did doctorate with an infant, another wow. infant, you know, like <laughs> by the time <laughs> I did doctorate, by the time I did doc, my doctorate had four. That's and, great. uh, and so, you know, some of these things that we put in place, I, I recognize our values that we have, or we feel like we have to get all these things accomplished before we get married. But that, that isn't always the case. I think we, we, we can be a little bit unfinished, you know, as we kind of mm-hmm. work, work into, into marriage, but that's a, that's another conversation. Um, my, my point is that like what I wanted to say with culturally, uh, something that I thought about here recently, if you, you like the movie, it's a wonderful life. You remember that movie? One of my favorites, one yeah. of my top 10. I, I love it. I love it. So I was rewatching this movie a couple of years ago. And, and while the movie I think has is beautiful and by and large has stood the test of time, there's one aspect of the movie that clearly makes it dated. You know? What's that? And so it connects <laughs> to what we're talking about. So the story goes right that, you know, he, he, he's having a hard time. He basically, for people who haven't seen the movie, if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. But here's a brief synopsis that, you know, George is is a good, loving soul in the small community, is is just frustrated by the fact that many of his dreams have not come to, to pass. He wants to be touring and, and, and vacationing, and he feels stuck in life, you know, as many of us do. And so he gets to this point where he hits a low of a low, and he tries to, he's about to commit suicide. He goes to the bridge, is about to jump off the bridge. And an angel of God comes down and basically saves him and not basically does save him, prevents him from killing himself. And then says, all right, you think your life is so bad. Let's show you what your life would look like if you weren't around. So let's look at what the community would look like if George wasn't around. And so they do, they travel throughout the whole community and and you could see that everything is, is off. Everything is different. But the point that makes him the, the point of conversion where he really realizes his life has the most value is when he meets his wife who at age 34 is a single woman librarian. <laughs> and, he, right, and he yells, right. she's an old maid. You know, like, <laughs> like yes. she's an old maid you know, at 34. Right, right. That was it. Like, that was, <laughs> like to prevent this woman from being an old maid at 34. He saved her. He saved her. You know, that's it. I got to go back. You know, like that's, that's the moment. <laughs> right. Like, but there's still like this, so we've come a long way from saying even at 34, you don't have to have everything figured out. You're not an old maid at 34 mm-hmm. by 2020 standards. Right. Um, but that cultural kind of pressure still kind of exists. So w- what do you think about that? Like, I mean, in terms of just the, how far we've come, but still the stigma that that kind of exists of being single and being at the dinner parties. And maybe you already have some sibling and friends that are already mm-hmm. having kids and you're at Thanksgiving having to kind of defend, well, I'm not, I'm still single because... Or I'm not married because it's hard. You know, it's really hard. You know, to be a thirty-something approaching forty, to be single at that dinner party, at that wedding, at that whatever it is, yes. and and just feeling alone. It is very difficult. Um, 
And and society does still have that, you know, oh, when are you going to find someone? It's like, oh, you know, you're the consummate bachelor or, or, the, or the spinster. You know, they're, they're still, they may not use those words, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's still there. And, and there's so many different things that have uh, played a factor in people delaying marriage, you know, needing a, an education or higher education to be able to uh, take care of yourself, the economy and the, the structure of, of society. We're not an agrarian society, mm-hmm. you know, so we need different skill sets to be able to make our way in the world. That requires more of a, of a formal education or training in certain ways. So that delays things coupled with uh, just, you know, the sexual revolution of the 60s, feminism, um, all sorts of different things that have played a factor and have changed the dynamic between mm-hmm. males and females. Right. You know, I, as I reflect on my own experience, I know that for me, I'm more of a traditional um, man in the way that I view things. And in dating um, as a traditional male, it was hard mm. to find what I would consider a traditional female. Um, and, and I'm not saying that people have to be traditional. People can be whatever it is that they want to be. Sure. But in terms of uh, finding someone that's a, a fit for you, it becomes more challenging in your when you hit 30, when you're 35, as you're approaching 40, because you're set in your ways, if you will. You you're, you're think you've you've had time to really reflect upon where you are and where you want to be, and as you meet people, it may be different from uh, from your perspective because of their conditioning, because of your conditioning, all sorts of factors that have come into play. Right. So let's get back to the dominant uh, theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominant thought theory yes. you spoke about. What is that? Well, it's in a nutshell the idea that what you think um, it gets instilled and installed in your subconscious way of being. Mm-hmm. So if I think to myself, I don't want this in a woman. I don't want this in a partner. I I I. I want to deal, I don't want to deal with that, that don't, that not, that never, that gets ingrained, that gets installed. And that just becomes part of how you view the world. And it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then once you go out there, that's what you see, that's what you pick up on. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you reject. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, that's the language that I noticed for myself. So for everybody, it'd be different. Yeah. And so when I made the cut, when I became aware, first of all, I became aware that that was the pattern um, in my dating life that I was focusing on what I did not want, then I had to make a conscious effort to begin to focus on what the woman that I wanted did have. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and so so when I started to make that effort, I started to really make a conscious effort. Okay, she has this, she has that, she has the other. Okay, now, I, I don't want to uh, blow this secret or whatever, but... Um, <laughs> It turns out my wife is not perfect. What? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and, you, know, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, I, that I'm saying that, uh, you know, but it turns out that she's not perfect. Yeah. I focused on the wonderful qualities that she presented as we dated, mm-hmm. as we were getting to know each other, as I decided, I, I, as I fell in love, as I. Uh, made the effort to 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 really invest the time, the energy in her and in the relationship, and then eventually proposing marriage and being engaged and getting married and all mm-hmm. of that 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 entails. Mm-hmm. And throughout that whole process, I was aware of her imperfections. Yeah, I was aware of her limitations. I was aware of the things that I became irritated by. <laughs> <laughs> But they were no longer deal breakers. Uh, they were no longer reasons to say, you know what? 
who needs that? I don't want to deal with that. I don't want that because if that's the case, then that's what it will always be with whomever it is. Correct. And, you know, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, in doing that, um, you can throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, you know what? I don't want to deal with the hassle, but then I don't get the beautiful aspects of things. Mm-hmm. You know, any dynamic, any relationship has a hassle. You know, two, two people interacting are not going to meet eye to eye on any on everything. Right. But you will meet eye to eye on several things. And I would say that my wife and I are 90 something percent compatible. Great. And there's a few things that, you know, I'm sure I do that. Not I'm sure. I know that irritate her. <laughs> <laughs> And one or two things that I wish you could do differently. <laughs> but it's enough. But it's but, it's, but enough. it's enough. The 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 beautiful thing about what you spoke about, well, many beautiful things, but but you know, would we sometimes or often are not aware of the narratives or the tapes that do run in our head. Right. And and how dominant those various thinkings are. Because they do shape what we perceive. I mean, in the sense that, you know, people talking about perception being reality, you know, there's some truth to that. There's some, there's some truth in terms of, because we, we cannot just biologically speaking, even when we're talking about like when we, our vision, our eyes, like we, we cannot perceive everything that we just biologically see. I mean, right. there's like studies of, you know, sometimes when we focus on one thing, I forget exactly how this works. I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry, everybody. But like, there's like one story of like this one experiment that was done about perception and and, and like if there was a, a, a soccer team, the, the way it was played out was like there was a five on five soccer match played. Mm-hmm. And if you tell the people to say, OK, follow the white team versus the black team in terms of the jersey colors, you say, OK, the white team, how many goals did they score? If people are if you ask the question you ask leading into whatever the three minute video that they're going to watch, they'll perceive that that's what they'll focus in on. But then if you ask that same group at the end of it, well, how many goals did the, the, the team with the black jersey score? They won't have an answer because they weren't perceiving that. They weren't mm-hmm. focusing on 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 that right. aspect of the video that they right. watched. That it's kind of similar to what you're speaking about. Absolutely, it is. You know that like if we if we are are focusing on a, a couple things, um, we are are missing out on the larger picture. Okay. Now, with respect though, sometimes we focus in on certain things because we've been burned by those very particular things. Right. And so those become guards that, that right. get played out. And, and at this point, by the time you get to your 30s in life, I don't care who you are, you've right. been burned by something. Right. Oh, <laughs> look. Yeah, I've been burned. <laughs> Whether it's job or life, yeah. life just smacks you in the yeah. face at some point. It's like, oh, this yeah. bleep is hard. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, is. You know? it is. And it hurts. It hurts. And it hurts. And it then hurts. you can you know, run the risk of shutting down and, yes. and withdrawing and, and saying, I don't want to experience that again, which makes sense. It's a very logical, protective measure to not want to get hurt again. Who would want, who would put themselves in a situation where they would get hurt again That's knowingly? Right. That's right. So that makes sense. So how do you navigate that though? Because it could be that those walls that are, that are in place are, are, or they're self-protective, they're healthy. Um, they're under, you understand and you have rationale for why they're there, but they're still preventing you from actually moving forward and seeing something else. Right. You know, when, when I work with clients who respond in that way, that they're blocking themselves off because of some past hurt or trauma, um, to validate that and normalize that, that yes, that does make sense. And that is a very good, um, tactic under those conditions. They're not applicable to absolutely every situation. Mm. You know, uh, it, it's like an alarm in a, in a house, you know, I have an alarm in my house and it, and it goes off 
if it needs to go off, if somebody breaks in. And it's it's that thing to become aware that, mm-hmm. that there's a potential threat. But you have to turn off that switch when the threat is over. Right. When the threat is no longer there, there's no need to have that alarm going on. If then it becomes an irritant, then it becomes um, annoying and and it impedes you from being able to do anything. If the alarm were to be going off in my house, I would not be able to watch television mm-hmm. or listen to a uh, music or have a conversation with my wife because it would always be there, mm-hmm. you know, intervening and, or, and impeding life. So you got to turn it off. Yeah. You have to turn that alarm off. It's there for a purpose and it's there to protect you when the, there's an actual threat, but not every day and not every situation is an actual threat. Yeah, that's well said. That's good. And if your dominant thought though is that there are alarms everywhere and right. everything is a threat, every person you date is a threat because you've been burned so many times or whatever the case may be, then it's hard to, to put yourself out there. It's yeah. hard to, to, to take that next step. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario and I'm taking a quick break from a conversation with Dr. Roy Salgado to encourage you to listen to some other episodes of mine related to dating. If you are enjoying this conversation that we are having and you're new to the show, then please check out episodes uh, 16, which is an AMA that I did on dating at LSU, Christ the King. It's a college campus where I fielded questions from the students related to dating. But other episodes like episode 17 on how pornography impacts vocational discernment, as well as episode 18, which was with Mary Rose Verrett and things that you should be looking for when knowing when it is time to get married. I have other episodes throughout um, my library for you to be able to check out related to relationship advice. I am a marriage counselor after all. So they are there free for you. And I hope that they offer some guidance and some help as you are navigating the waters of dating. Now, like also what plays out sometimes is that we just have, when we're alone, we, we spend a lot of time in our head and we kind of have expectation then. And then, and then everybody becomes a critic and everybody wants to offer an opinion. Well, you know, you, you, why did you stop dating that girl? Because she was perfect for you. Why'd right. you do that? Why didn't you go with that with this person? Because so then all of a sudden everybody else's kind of expectations yeah. start filtering into your own thinking. And then it's kind of like, well, what is enough for me? Right. I'm dating this girl. She doesn't hit every mark on the list, but it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to, I, I would say, I just want to encourage people to say, well, if she's enough for you, then, then let that be enough. Like right. whatever contend. See, the thing is that like, often we, we create lists in our heads about what the person's supposed to look like. And they're, they're reasonable lists that are usually there because of our own upbringing, our experiences, things that we want, things we don't want. And I think it's fine to have a list, but whenever you're discerning a relationship, you're discerning again in reality. You're discerning that that like I'm dating this particular person, and she is unique and unrepeatable. She is she is she is her own person. That you're trying to decide is she the right for me? Is she the right. right fit for me? So she may fit this whatever imaginative list that you have, but you're not. You can't compare her to this imaginative list because right. that's not fair to this person. Right. You have to be able to say, okay, well, I have this list that's good. It's all right, but I need to set that aside a little bit. And to say, okay, well, this person that I'm with, how how compatible are we? Because those are real questions, right? right? How similar are our value sets? How similar are our interests? How easy are conversations that that emerge? And when those negativities that that you spoke about are there and present, because they're going to be, everybody's limited. Mm-hmm. How 
How free am I to be able to share those things with her? And how receptive is she to receiving that feedback? I wouldn't do it on a first date. I wouldn't do it on a first date either. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, so absolutely, yes, well said. I wouldn't do all that first date. You know, First date is just get drinks. Right. All right, so we'll, yeah. we'll hold off on that, all right? <laughs> yes, over the course of a relationship, right? right? You know, like thinking about all, all of that stuff. Um, but going back to the first date, let's go there, all right? So what's, you know, first a, date. What, what's appropriate for a first date? <laughs> Great question. You know, I, I, I tell my wife. Because some people want to unload. You know, it's yeah, like, all right, yeah. here's the list. The line is in the sand. If you don't meet all these things right now, you're not even going to date number two. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I, we, we refer to our, our first several dates. I guess they were about the first six dates, maybe, as a, our water with lemon dates. Water um, with lemon. Yeah. Why, why, why that? Uh, because that's when we were like our, 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 our good face. You know, <laughs> we were like showing each other that we were good, responsible people. I don't know what we were thinking, but we were we were just trying to put our best foot forward. And yeah, we had our, our masks That's or whatever. Right. And so we would go out to dinner and then I would order water with lemon and she would order water with lemon or whatever. And then I was like, but I need a drink sometimes. Yeah, I just want a beer. So I just want a beer. <laughs> so, so I ordered a beer like on the seventh date. She's like, oh, I'll order a wine. <laughs> <laughs> and so it took it took a little bit to, you know, to start to become more comfortable. Once I felt comfortable with her, I'm like, I'm, you know, because – in the past, this was my thing in the past for me personally, I'm not speaking for other people, but a lot of my dates in the past centered around alcohol. Mm. You know, you go to a bar, you go to a restaurant or whatever and sit around alcohol. I'm like, I really want to not have a, an experience be clouded by alcohol. Right. And so let me just spend time and, and I'll have water with lemon. And so, and I guess she was thinking similarly as mm -hmm. well. And then after we got to learn a little bit about one another and, and how we have similar values we come from similar uh experiences in in many ways then we uh then we let our guard down and we started to uh you know order a beer order a wine <laughs> and so we started to disclose who we were yeah and and what we you know enjoyed and what we did um as the dates progressed so you do have to eventually start to show who you are and uh and let people let people get in mm -hmm. you have to take that risk mm -hmm. you can't always have that barrier up and mm -hmm. not let people in Otherwise, they'll be on that other side of that wall, the other, on the other side of the barrier. You have to open up those gates and, and allow them to get to know who you are. So what did she do, though, that even in those water with lemon dates, that there was enough there for you to feel that you could trust her to, to get the beer by the seventh date? Just so sweet and kind and loving and genuine and sincere and yeah. beautiful. All these wonderful qualities. My wife is an amazing, wonderful woman. And as I got to see that, mm -hmm. um, and, and as we discussed, you know, religion and politics and sports and all these kind of different things, and I got to see what her thoughts are about different things. I'm like, okay, all right. Feeling comfortable with you. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, uh, you know. Kick it, kick it up a notch, mm -hmm. whatever, and then kick mm -hmm. it up a notch again until, mm -hmm. you know, now here we are married six mm -hmm. years later, mm -hmm. you know. Awesome. And so uh, her character and her her personality and just who she was and is and, and how she presented herself are all things that made me feel comfortable. But I allowed the conditions to be so that I could see that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't focus on the one or two things that now I would identify as irritants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't just happen this year. They were probably logged there before I ever met her, but right. they were not a focus. Right. But the difference between you at the way you've, you've said it, you know, at that time, 39 is versus who you were at 29 
is that you chose not to focus on those irritants. Right. They I'm, weren't deal breakers. At 29, I, I wanted something that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted at 29 is not possible. It does not exist. <laughs> it does not exist. I don't know what I wanted, but it just, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And so then being able to then say, all right, like, there's a little irritant. Not a deal breaker, but all this other stuff that she has is, yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. She's she's a loving daughter, a loving sister, a loving friend, uh, a wonderful wife, uh, an amazing mother. Mm -hmm. um, I came to realize that she would be an amazing wife to me, an amazing mother to our future children. Yeah. When I saw yeah. what, what a wonderful person uh, she was with her parents and with her brother. Um, you know... Uh, I think that's an important thing too. I think yeah. getting to see how people are with other people, I, especially a, their family, especially their family. Yeah. That was that was because you're marrying the family. You are marrying the family. Oh, <laughs> and she's boy. marrying your family. And she's too. marrying my family. God bless her. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go any further. No, no, we won't go any further. Than that. Sorry, it's all right. We'll stop right there. Um, you know, it's so because you are marrying the family. That's I think it. that's a, a very key thing. You know, yeah. when you date someone, that it's important that you get to know who they are in the context of their system, right? Their family system. How do they interact with their parents? How do they interact with their siblings? How do they interact with their friends, yeah. coworkers? You need to see that yeah. so that if there's something there that um, doesn't quite, uh, uh, I don't know, sit well, mm -hmm. then you could think about moving forward again. And I've been talking about you know not. But there's certain deal breakers. There are certain deal breakers. Yeah. So so let's go to that then. We've been talking so far about people who maybe have too high of a standard, are overly perfectionistic, have whatever negative scripts that they're focusing on, whatever the case may be. Um, but I've seen then the other side of that as well. I'll share a story here. Uh, this was a few years ago. Kristen and I, we went on a date. Um, this is when our third son, Noah, was just born. So that was about 10 years ago at this point now because he's turning 10 this weekend. We went. Happy we were, birthday. Well, yeah. Thanks to Noah. So we, uh, was one of those things that, you know, he had been born and it probably been like six or seven months since we'd gone out, which happens. Right. So that was it. So not obviously as a therapist, I wouldn't advise that, but you know, there <laughs> was, it happens. So we went out to a, to a restaurant. This is when we were still in Tallahassee. And because it had been so long, it was just awesome. Just the two of us, the kids were at home. We had grandparents watching the kids and we could just be together and just enjoy each other's company and, and share and the delight and, and just have a wonderful time together. So our waitress comes over. It was probably in her late twenties at the time, I would say. And she, this is at the end of the date. She brings the ticket over, you know, for us to pay. And she says, you know, you guys are, you guys are so cute. We've been, we've been watching you in the back, you know, this whole time. We're like, Oh geez, this is ridiculous. You know, we're just trying to enjoy. I know it's true. I know that it's true. Y'all are adorable. <laughs> you know? And so, so she's so, so, so the, the waitress says that, and then, then she goes on to say, you know, that, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dating this guy and we've been together for about five years and we live together and I don't really, you know, I don't know. I don't really feel anything for him, but I like his son. And, and I guess that's enough. Then she walks away. That's what she says as she's dropping the bill. Now, I don't know if this is your experience, but I think it says therapist on my forehead because my, <laughs> it must, it must. Yes. Cause I, 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 people, people share stuff with me all yeah, the time. Yeah. All the time. I hear you. Yeah. I can identify with that. <laughs> so that'll be another <laughs> podcast, but like for, for, for the purpose of today was that something, whatever we did, you know, she felt freely to share. And so we felt, you know, that we just had to respond, you know, to, to, to the comments. So we just, you know, paid their bill, wrote something on the backs, just very beautiful, said, you know, so-and-so, 
you know, you're beautiful and never settle for anything less. And so we left that on the ticket and, 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 you know, we, we went our separate ways, but it's got me thinking. And even in, in counseling since then that, you know, we talk about having too high of an expectation, but there can be another side of this as well. The other extreme, which is then having too low of an expectation or, or just being with somebody because it's better than being alone. Well, right. at least it's a warm body right. or at least it's companionship. And even if they don't treat me right. Or not even abusive. Okay, we're not even going to talk about that. Right. But just there's this constant mismatch, or there's the compatibility isn't there, or there's tension, constant tension in the relationship. Yeah. What do you think about that scenario? What would yeah. you tell somebody in a situation like you that? Know, I, I, what just popped into my mind was like on on the social media platforms where they have the relationship status, single, marriage. Yeah. It's complicated. It's complicated. Yes, you this know, is the it's complicated. This is group. the it's complicated <laughs> part. Yeah. Um, where breaking up, going back together, serial kind of. Yeah. You know, kind of always getting into that rut where you break up and then you you get back together, you break up, you get back together. It's always kind of on off again. Any one of those situations. Yeah. And I think this is where people perhaps need to be a little mindful and aware of that things will get complicated to what degree or or whether it's something that you can manage. It's going to depend on everyone's particular case. But if there is, you know, like in this case that you described, I love his son. His son is great. Well, that right there, it's going to be complicated because, you know, when when I describe my dating situations with myself or whatever woman I may have gone on a date with, that was just a dynamic between two individuals. Mm -hmm. And that was complicated. Mm -hmm. You throw in a third or a fourth, you throw in a child or an ex or the mother of a child or the father of a child, those people are not going anywhere. Right. They're going to be part of your life and impact a relationship. So I'm not saying that it's not going to be possible for it to work out, but it is complicated. Mm -hmm. And it's important that one not go into scenarios, not realizing that it's going to be complicated because it will be complicated having to share time with a child or, or, or whatever it is, because every situation again is different, realizing that these things do get complicated and to go in knowing, you know, because if you, if you know what to expect, you're not going to be as uh, blindsided when things happen because right. things will happen. Right. What could those things be? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I would say, you know, as I'm thinking about this, obviously there's a vast array of reasons why anybody could, you know, stay in an unhealthy relationship. But there, I think some practical thoughts that, that's coming to my mind right now is one, like you talked about the dominant theory, um, dominant thought theory. What are, what, what, what's going on in your mind? You know, do that assessment and say, okay, Am I only with this person because I don't feel like I deserve anything better? Am I only with this person because I don't feel, because the pain of loneliness hurts too much that it's better just to settle? Okay, maybe. I mean, you have to then make a decision based on that if, that, if that's your, your, your case. Um, but I also think then back to the it's complicated in, in what you said in terms of like when other variables come into mix, I think health, c- communication and everybody says that, but in sincerity, like if you're able to really put things on the table, if, if you're the type of person who fears to ruffle feathers or who fears to bring up controversy, even in a relationship, or who fears to bring up whatever your perception is because you're afraid that this is going to upset the other person, those are things that you have to be able to get over in a, in a healthy relationship because yes. you, can't, you can't have a healthy relationship when you constantly feel like you're walking on eggshells right. with the other person. Yes. And constantly negating or sweeping under the rug or making excuses for the other person's behavior, whatever the case may be, if you don't feel like you can be forthright with some of the things that that you are genuinely seeing, that that's a red flag. 
So now that doesn't necessarily mean it's the other person's fault. It just means that maybe there's just a lot within you. And so if you feel like early on, right. not, obviously, again, not first date, we're not right. talking first date right. material, right. but we're saying over the over, over duration of a relationship, if things present themselves, feel, I would say, like, again, prudence, find the right time for it. But if you're able to, to, to speak those things and to share those things in a way that the other person can receive, then you've given the other person an opportunity to respond to that. If the relationship then from that point on has some genuine growth in whatever that tension was, then that's a great sign. If it, if it doesn't, or the person's dismissive, or it just kind of within a couple of weeks reverts back or regresses back to the way it was, well, that's also something to kind of pay attention to. Yeah. You know, and to, to that point, you know, when you do engage in that dynamic with someone where you are allowing that tension to play itself out and to see if you can survive it, if you will, you know, that, that exchange, that, yeah. that interaction, then good. You've taken that risk. The world didn't spin off of its access. No. Life goes on and then you can proceed forward. Um, if it, if it's not a good interaction, then that's the red flag. And that's perhaps, uh, something that's communicating to you. Okay. It's time to move on. This is not necessarily someone that I can, uh, maybe not in one interaction, but if it happens a couple of times, this is not someone that perhaps it's going to meld with. Mm -hmm. Um, but if it's something that we can work out and negotiate and, and are able to move through it, then perhaps we can, you know, what, what comes to mind for me is I think in my particular experience to when I have dated prior to my wife, um, and that would happen naturally. Um, then I would know, okay, this someone I could perhaps work this out with or someone that I could, you know, this is just not going to work. So I know not to have it work there. Um, with my wife, we were able to work through, not that there were things to, to, to work through, but even when we realized that there were things that we had differences in, we just talked about it. It was like, oh, we had a civil conversation about things that we don't agree on, yeah. that we have different perspectives on. It's like, all right, mental note, you know, that's a keeper type of situation. Right. And then that's what helps develop a relationship where you can feel comfortable enough to to take a risk and speak your mind and be forthright and have it be well received by the other person mm -hmm. when the other person's a good listener <laughs> and they understand your perspective. They don't necessarily have to agree with it, but they understand it. That's something to be looking for. You want to be able to offer that to someone else. You want to be able to open communication is listening, not talking, but listening and being able to understand the other person and vice versa. Someone can offer that to you. That's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Now your wife is a counselor also, isn't she? She is a counselor <laughs> also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> does, We're both great help. listeners. We're both great listeners. <laughs> both trained, trained listeners. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. You know, um, I don't know if I told you how my wife and I met. No, um, sure. You know, when I was dating aggressively <laughs> during that period of time, <laughs> I think it was like a four-year period of time when I had was just dating and dating and dating. And I was tired. I was tired and I was broke because it was expensive. <laughs> <laughs> broke financially, not just emotionally. <laughs> I was broken. <laughs> you know, it was just, it's expensive. You know, you yeah. go out on a Friday night, yes. Saturday night, sometimes on a Sunday afternoon, yeah. you know, and, and it's just a lot, a lot of money. I'm being like, traditional, I, I, were you paying all the time? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was. And I, I told my wife, so I said, good. thank you. I said, I'm actually saving money being married with a wife than when I was dating. <laughs> Because you weren't having water with lemon with all those other things. No, dates. I wasn't <laughs> having water with lemon. We were going to like these like fancy restaurants and nice high-end bars, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> now we eat at Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I love Chick-fil-A. Um, oh, keep too. going. So how'd you get to me? So <laughs> and so 
Um, I met her when, when I said, you know, I got to take a break. I'm not going to date for a little bit. I'm just going to take a break and kind of just sit back. And, and this is where my spiritual life comes in. And I said, mm-hmm. God, you know, if you want me to have a single life, then I'll accept, you know, a single life. And I was 40 um, when I thought this to myself. And I said, okay, I'll be single. And a buddy of mine, who's also a counselor, called me like that week and said, look, there's a girl that I think you should meet. I think y'all would be good together. I think y'all have a lot in common. I work with her over here mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge. I'm her supervisor. Um, I think you should meet. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not I'm not interested in meeting anybody right now. If I'm just too tired from the dating thing, I'm just going to take a break. And it's like, oh, okay, well, all right. Well, she's not really interested in meeting you either anyway. So it kind of works out. I'm like, well, why is she interested in meeting me? So I'm like, give me her number. I'll give her a call. <laughs> so I called her and uh, we went out for coffee. We went to CeCe's um, um, and it was five hour, a five hour coffee. Wow. And it just, it was just from day one, it was, uh, I knew I didn't know she was the one, but she checked off so many boxes. Yeah. Not every box. Yeah. But many boxes. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, it's good with, to know that, you know, friends typically do desire the best for us. Right. And we can trust other people's opinions. Yes. You know, and if somebody says, hey, I think this person might be a good match, it's worth investigating that lead. Yeah. You know, and like, like I had said before, I, you know, I threw caution to the wind and I dated um, online and I asked women out and I asked people to set me up. So I was open to all the possibilities. You have to be open to all of the possibilities and not close yourself off to things. You know, they're not going to come knocking on your door and say, hey, listen, you want to go out? That's not going to happen. You have to go out there. Now, I know right now under the current circumstances, uh, it's a little challenging, but nevertheless, you have to take that risk. Well, what are ways do you think that People could, you know, single people could meet. Like, again, when you're in college, it's easy. You're in dorms, mm-hmm. you're in a, 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 some group together, or you're, uh, you know, I don't know, just in class together. So it's kind of easy to right. mingle with other people your age because that's what college right. is. Once you get into the professional workforce, it's difficult because you could be the youngest person in the office by right. 15 years. Right. And it's hard kind of navigating all of that. Right. How how do you still manage work in putting yourself out there and, and availing yourself to all these different avenues. Cause some of them can be overwhelming too. Right. You know, it's like, how do I put my profile up on match.com or on Tinder? And, and how do I make it clear on Tinder that I, that I want a serious relationship and not just anything casual right. or you know, a- any of these things. It just seems like the process of dating and putting yourself out there can, can be overwhelming. Um, what do you recommend, you know, for people? Well, what I would recommend is start doing things in which you have an interest. Mm. So if uh, you like ceramics, then go do ceramics. If you like gardening, go and help out in City Park and, you know, in garden, you know, they have those volunteer groups. Yeah. If you like bike riding, ride a bike, you know, do things that you like to do independent of um, looking for someone. When you're engaging in activities in which you have an interest and you do that regularly and you do that consistently – you're probably going to come in contact with people who are doing those same activities, who have the same interest, and proximity is a big part of it. You're going to be encountering and interacting with these people more frequently. The more frequently you start encountering and interacting with these people that have the same interest that you have and engaging in the same activity, you're going to start to have conversations, and the rest will kind of just play itself out. 
it's important to find things that you enjoy and start doing those things. It can't be in the house though, because nobody's <laughs> going to be in the house. You have to go out into the world and do the activities you that you enjoy. You mean Mr. Wright isn't just going to come knocking on your door? Unless he works for UPS or FedEx or Amazon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I see you like packages. <laughs> so There's one in front I, of my I, door I like, every day. <laughs> I, I I like Amazon too. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that that's really well said. Um, you have to be able to to put yourself out there, whether it is you know adult kickball league, you know, yeah, or or whatever quirky thing. If there's a particular bar that you like yeah. that, that you fancy. You know, going to it and and absolutely and 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 doing that. I mean, and and keep trying. You know, if you are re- religious and you want to go to the the youth group or the college group or something, um, the problem with Catholic singles groups is really uh, Catholic. Excuse me, I just revealed it. You know, Catholic young adult groups often end up feeling like Catholic singles, where it's like it's like a like a Shark Tank sometimes. Like you walk in, and it's just like all right, everybody's looking for a potential mate, right? And even that can kind of be a little objectifying, right? You know, you can't. You can't be like, well, I'm going to go do the gardening group because I'm going to be looking out, you know, for, for Mr. Right, right. or Mrs. Right to right. Ms. Right to just kind of present herself. Like it has to be. It has to be organic. It has to be organic. Yeah. And so you can't that's put pressure why, on yourself. That, yeah. That's why it's important. You know, just ask yourself, what do I like? What do I enjoy? What am I interested in? Let me go do that. Yeah. Let me go play volleyball. Let me go play kickball. Let me go garden let me go join a film club a book club whatever yes. it is just go and do the things that i like and then naturally do it consistently someone of like mind of like interest may be in that circle and things may just happen you know on their own if you go with the mindset i'm going to go to this particular event for the purposes of meeting someone and hopefully a romantic relationship develops it's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. it's very stressful it is but if you go and do things organically, just naturally, and things that you enjoy, don't go do something that you don't enjoy because you you think that's where you're going to meet somebody. It's not going to work that way. <laughs> you have to do something that you enjoy because if nothing else, at least you're doing something that you enjoy. Yes. And when you en- are enjoying something, the better side of you comes out. Your genuine, true self comes out. And that attracts people. Yes. People are attracted to your genuine self, not to some mask that we put on because we can kind of pick up on that, that that's just our polite social self as opposed to, you know, us being in the nitty gritty of, you know, playing volleyball or, mm-hmm. or gardening or bike riding. Mm-hmm. They get to see who you are in some, on some level. Yeah. That's it. For somebody who's been divorced or was in a serious long-term relationship, how do you know when, when you're ready to, to, to get back into the scene? It's a great question. Uh, every situation is different. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, a previous relationship or divorce is one that comes with uh, trauma and abuse, then you're to proceed differently, you know, and, and really be mindful of what did not work mm-hmm. and so that you can be aware of those uh, components if they, tar- if they start to creep their ugly head again. You know, um, it's interesting because people who, who have experienced abuse um, or domestic violence tend to fall into a second or a third relationship again that are abusive um, in nature. And there are studies that show that how we carry ourselves gets picked up on by right. a predator. Right. So a person may be able to pick up on your on your facial expressions, your corporal language, and, and the way you carry yourself. And so 
if that's the case, if you're coming out of that type of situation, it's important to do self-reflective work and to to build yourself up and to learn how to navigate the world with with confidence and project confidence to the world and not someone who has uh, been the victim of another person's abusive behavior so that you can attract strong, competent, confident, healthy individuals and not a predator who is looking to harm you. But in order for your relationship to be successful, any second or future relationship to be successful after a divorce or after um, a long-term relationship that's not a healthy one, then you need to do some introspective work and really work on yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself for a healthy person. You know, it's unfortunate, but but unhealthy attracts unhealthy and healthy yeah. does attract healthy. And you can't be unhealthy, expect for someone who is healthy to be attracted to that because they're not going to be necessarily. Right. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. You know, who we who we present ourselves to the world is exactly that. And, and, and what people perceive, we talked about perception again earlier. You know, if we, if we do present ourselves as somebody who is strong, who is confident, um, people will pick up on that. And so if, if somebody's listening to this, who is coming out of a long-term relationship, honestly, I would encourage doing the introspective work that led to the demise of the relationship. I mean, and if, particularly with, if, if you've been married and it is a divorce, as Catholics, we would certainly encourage to, to begin the annulment. I would certainly encourage to begin the annulment process as soon as possible, even before you start dating again, because even the annulment process itself and the reflecting on the relationship and what worked and what didn't work, all of that writing can be incredibly therapeutic. It can be incredibly healing as you try to process uh, what, what happened and why this thing went wrong. And at some point, you know, when you feel like you're ready and you've learned your lessons that you've needed to learn, then you can start putting yourself back out there um, and doing the things that, that, that we spoke about, whether it's getting involved again with some city park or, or gardening or, or sports activities or, or whatever it is, you know, getting to the point where, where you can. And then, again, as everybody else, negotiating you know, what, what those relationships look like, who seems like a potential match, how do you do that, you know, and all, all, all of it. So any, any other thoughts you have here as we're kind of coming to the end of our, of our, of our interview? The only thing that I would say is that if you are single and you are wanting to be a part of a couple and you want to uh, be in a committed relationship, um, then you have to put the time, energy, and effort into it. Uh, you have to invest in it like you would for anything else, like you would for your ed education, like you would for savings, like you would for a home, like you would to save for a vacation. You have to invest the time, energy, and effort. It does take work to enter into a relationship and it takes that amount of work to maintain it. And that's a whole other podcast on yep. how to maintain a relationship after yep. you're in one. Yep. But in order to get into one, you have to put in the work. Yeah. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. It's not going to be, you know, just kind of rolling the dice and whatever, like you, you, you have to. And if you, and if you put yourself in it, then, uh, then, then it'll work out. Um, I'm thinking now you'd like the Incredibles, you know, the movie, the Incredibles. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> a great movie. Is, is yeah. this, it, one of the great lines that Edna says to um, uh to Helen is uh you know after she shows the 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 baby's kind of new suit that can handle anything you know from bombs or fire or whatever she goes what do you think he's going to do he goes i don't know darling luck favors the prepared you know like <laughs> like <laughs> that is very poignant and very apropos absolutely yes. like if you just yeah exactly put the work in put the effort in resist cynicism because i think that creeps in also 
resist thinking that everybody's a monster and everybody's that it's always going to end in despair or it's just not going to work out. Put yourself out there, do the work that you can do. And at some point, we don't know how, we don't know exactly when, but, it, but it'll work out. So Roy, if, if people have been enjoying this conversation, how can they get more information about you? Where, where could they go? Well, they can go ahead and uh, contact me through uh, www.crescentcitycounseling.com or Gmail at crescentcitycounseling at gmail.com, or they can contact me at 504-491-1034. Fantastic. Putting the numbers out there. So we'll, we'll put links to all that in the show notes. And uh, Dr. Roy Salgado, final question to ask all my guests, what gives you hope? God. God gives me hope. I know that he is real. Uh, he has worked in my life from day one. Amen. Amen. Well, Roy, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. All right. God bless you, man. Likewise. Well, that does it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I hope that you found it informative. Please, if you do enjoy the show, leave a comment, write a review, or a rating on Apple Podcasts. Each one of those certainly helps to draw attention to the show, as well as letting other people know how great the content is or how much it really has blessed you. So truly grateful uh, to be able to do this show for you, and I pray that it has been a blessing. God bless everybody, and be good.